Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, triveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Hey, Kristen, here we are, Wednesday Q&A. So excited to be back. Yes, me too. Happy New Year. Happy um, New Year. Well, I guess when whenever <laughs> when this comes records, it might be, yeah. It, it'll <laughs> still be in the new year. Well, let's get going. This is from Trisha Matthews. This is a long question. She wrote, question about my right outer glute, perhaps right outer hip, glute medius question mark. I've always had super tight outer hips. When I go for a hike, that's the first place that starts to complain slash ache. I try to stretch them and that feels good in a painful sort of way, but the release doesn't last long. Is it a question of doing more strengthening of the abductors? Seems to make them tight though or more and the right kind of stretches, or is it both? Do you have stuff for this in your yoga classes or have you discussed it in your podcasts? Da, da, da. Well, we're going to discuss it right now. And yes, we have a lot of this in the yoga classes. Do you want to um, start off? Sure. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question, Tricia. It could be one, the other, or both, I think. You could, you could be tight, but you could also be weak. Or you could be weak slash tight somewhere else, especially with hiking. It's just a different type of exercise than almost anything else you do. The elevation changes, the, the, the climbing, the, the excessive single leg work when you're climbing really puts a lot of, of good demand on the hips where you're required to stabilize through that lateral hip, that what I call the, the ring or the arc of the, of the hip really has to work. So if it's just not up to snuff, which I don't know how often you hike, but most people don't hike every day. Uh, and then you go out, you did say it comes on relatively quickly, if I recall. But so I would definitely strengthen, I would look at some of the other muscle groups, the adductors, you know, how are they? Are they tight? Are they weak? Um, are you compensating for something? It's kind of a multifaceted, let's look 
at the whole body because when we're looking at something that tends to be chronic like this, come on pretty quickly. You've tried a lot, you've tried stretching, you've tried strengthening, it hasn't worked. Well, then let's look somewhere else. Let's look at your pelvis. Let's look at your lumbar spine. Let's see what else might be going. Let's look at your feet even and, and see is there something else that is putting too much demand on these hips and making them overwork. I'm guessing you're going to agree with me, Laura. Any other ideas with that? I totally agree. I would say that strengthening the core is so important for all of our functional movement. And this is probably even more important when you're hiking, when you're adding more demand. You've added, I mean, when I think of hiking, I'm thinking of elevation. Even if you're hiking without an elevation, it still is super important. But with that elevation, you have to hold your core strong. Just think about your spine and your pelvis while you're moving from the hips. Their hips are the big drivers. So the glute max, yes, the glute med, like Kristen was saying, um, that comes on a lot for those one, when you're on one leg. Um, it helps to stabilize the femur and the pelvis so you're not sinking over into that. Uh, that that would be it. It's like you've really just got to strengthen your core. I know this because I've done so much hiking in my life and I know that my yoga practice always sets me up for it. I can I can go day one hiking and we'll go you know, sometimes we'll land literally if we've been doing a lot of international hiking, we'll land. um, And the next day, and sometimes even the same day we'll take off. And that first day could be anywhere from 10 to 15 miles with packs. And I'm ready for it because of all the work we do on our, on the mat, all the core strengthening we do, all the functional training where we really work on how to flex at your hips and not tilt in your pelvis. So if you don't flex well at your hips, you are not going to extend well at your hips. That is fundamental. So you can try all you want to get your hips, your glutes working, but if you aren't flexing well, you're just not setting them up to extend well. And we teach that in our classes all the time. Everything we're doing, we're hip hinging, we're hip hinging, we're hip hinging. And the purpose of that is really to teach you how to flex well at your hips because if you're not doing that, all the other movements that you generated your hips and the stabilization that's needed at your hips is not going to be optimal. So, yeah. Well, and definitely once you said that, my mind went ding, ding, ding. You know, what, where might she be weak? And it might be in the hip flexors, you know, and that is where yoga is awesome. We do some, especially lit yoga. How many times are we driving those knees up, moving? Yes, we're flexing back, but we're also pulling up. And if you weaken your hip flexors, you're going to start using that tensor fasciolata and it's going to start getting tight. And that's one of your lateral hip muscles. And uh, as soon as you said hip flexion, you saw me, I pointed at you. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, that's it. Because that is why you're able to throw on a pack and go. We flex so much at the hips, both in a closed chain, but also in an open chain position. Every time you step forward, you're, every time you bring me to chest, you're bringing the hip into the chest. And so you're, you're strengthening those hip flexors. My, I wonder if she's not weak there or like you said, hypomobile there to where she's starting to draw those, the tensor, you know, some of the accessory muscles that also assist with hip flexion, which think about hiking at, at the elevation is so much flexion. So really good call there. Yeah. And like you said, open chain where you aren't stepping uh, or you aren't squatting, but you're lifting it up. If you ask, and we do this a lot with our physical therapy clients, like lift your knee up 
like you're marching without displacing your pelvis, without displacing your spine, a lot of people can't even go beyond 90 degrees because without doing that, they're so used to compensating and their hip flexors are weak. That iliopsoas is is not strong enough. And then the superficial hip flexors are. So yeah, we were, trust us, we, we work on all of these elements in our classes. So we're, do that. And I promise, that's always, what I always say is our classes are standalone, really great overall movement um, sources, but they're also a great adjunct for whatever it is you... So even if you don't want to be practicing the lit daily every or lit yoga every day, practice it enough three times a week that it'll really help you with the other things that you want to do in life, like hiking. Okay, here we go. Jay Regnard asks, what would you do? What would you recommend to do for diastasis recti after pregnancy? So for people who don't know that, that what this is, uh, when you have a baby and your abdomen, you know, everything's growing, the uterus is growing, the baby's growing. And, and to accommodate that, you have to stretch out your anterior wall of your abdomen. So that's your, your abdominal stretch out. And then you have this fascial covering over the superficial layer. And a lot of times, because you're going straight out, um, you can, that area can be pulled apart. It might not be torn completely, but it can be pulled apart so that after the baby, uh, you, there's like a obvious indentation in there. I have a very, very small one above my um, belly button. And most people can, I, I shouldn't say most, but it's very common to have some some version of it. Now there's different levels of it. So that's the first thing I would want to know is like, well, how apart is it? You know, is it like a finger? Is it two fingers? Is it three fingers? That's getting a lot, that's getting a lot more tricky. So there's a lot of bracing that needs to be done because you need to firm that abdominal, that front abdominal wall to make up for that um, gapping. There's a gap between the the coming together of the abdominals in front. And, you know, there's a lot of different thoughts about this. Like some people think you should never do anything like plank where you're extended in the spine, that that you're putting gravitational load on that. I don't think that is the case unless you have a severe case. And then I would say work in quadruped first. Where, but I, I think you need all that. So what I have found for myself and for the many women that I've worked with is that really just bringing attention to how to tone the abdominals. It's not a sucking of the belly in. It's a drawing of all these different fibers of the abdominal wall together to to unite and be stronger and then drawing that towards your spine and doing that in every pose, even if it's against gravity. Um, Paying attention to it, not letting your ribs flare forward because the top end of that fascia is coming up to your xiphoid process, which is at the very bottom of your sternum. So if those ribs flare, you're more likely to to be pulling at the diastasis. So do something like you lit yoga and do it with someone. And if you're at all nervous, like your doctor said, don't do anything because some doctors will say that. Um, I don't agree with that because how is it going to improve? And they've shown over time that, you know, the body, the human body is amazing. It will recover it will get stronger. I feel like, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same way, Kristen, after three babies, I've had two. I feel much stronger in many ways, but you have to bring a lot more awareness to that area and to your form. Do you have anything else to add to that? 
No, I will just say, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Um, and I definitely, I, I have a larger one than you. And I remember when I first started training with you back in 2000, well, gosh, probably 2012, when I first started training with you, um, it was much more obvious. I would lie back and be like, ah, this, my guts, <laughs> probably at least two fingers, maybe three fingers width. And um, just the core work we've done, we do at the beginning of the reset where, and it's that, it's that hold. It's that, like you said, the drawing in, it's not the pulling down the belly, it's the drawing in. And then it's the main, the maintenance of that to your point in quadruped in all positions. But I just watched it gradually tighten back down Do I still have it. Yes. But I have to almost like lie back and try to make it happen. Um, it is not something that pops up automatically, but it's, 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 it's work and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it, it definitely, you know, your, your soft tissues have to change. And so you have to build and, and rebuild soft tissues. But, uh, the reset, those two sets of abs that we push ourselves through every single day and you're they, going ne- like, they never get easier <laughs> never. Never get they easier. never get easier you get the stink eye what do you mean one more time it's like <laughs> trust me trust me on this one you're gonna thank me yeah you have to work them I, I agree with you the whole thing like don't do anything I don't agree unless it's it's a really advanced case but yeah I've even seen you know we've had uh, I know you know Charlotte I mean she had four kids she's tiny and she had a, a pretty big case of it and it really improved dramatically to the point I don't think she would say it. She really even notices it all. And it, it again, it was one of those things that uh, a lot of people don't want to touch. They think, "Oh my gosh, you had four kids. You're you really opened up there. Don't do it." You know, but but we even physical therapy, they've realized like, no, you know, just like anything heals. You know, our body again is really really smart. It will bring in more material to help out. And getting those abdominals strong and not doming them is super important. So great question because I do know a lot of people ask about this. Talk to the Hannon. I like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on aerial yoga? And I think what she's, what she's probably talking about, which is what I know as aerial yoga, are the silks that you do things on. You know, I've never done aerial yoga. Um, I've definitely you know, I used to do gymnastics and hang from bars and whatnot. Um, so I'm not the, the big aficionado about this. What I, I think that there can be a lot of, again, when you're applying it in terms of strength and um, holding yourself up, for example, like P90X or the um, red cord, you know, you can use suspended uh, treatment strategies for strength that are awesome. I do know that there are some aerial or silks where you're hanging into something to try to gain flexibility. I am not a fan of that. Um, most people, especially yogis, tend to be hypermobile anyway. So to go into that even more in order to feel it, you know, usually if you have to go into something so deep to feel it, you shouldn't be there because you're having to go too deep to feel it. Um, but I do think suspended type of therapeutics can be great for strengthening. So again, I'm not, I don't know much about it, but I would say I'm always a big no for a passive hanging stretch and not, I'm not saying cross the board, but, um, and then yes, for any type of just suspended strengthening, you know more about it, I'm sure. 
Well, I, I would just totally echo what you said. Like the aerial yoga that I've seen, and I have seen people, unfortunately, that have gotten injured after one class, like, you know, and so, and, and it is because of that passive range of motion. So again, for those of you who aren't sure, active range of motion is like what we were talking about when you're um, marching, when you, I pull that hip, I pull up with that hip flexor and I go into as much range as I can produce. That is, that is an important thing to have. If I were just kind of hanging on, like say backwards on a sling and I'm getting that range of motion in my hip, that is passive. And that can be what, again, can happen is because you've got gravity, more people are kind of going to hang. They're not going to hold themselves there because they've got something holding them. Then you will tend to go where it's easiest to go. And for a lot of people, that's not going to be in the front of their pelvis. It's going to be into their lumbosacral area or something like that. So the people that I've actually seen that have gotten injured, injured their low back. And so I, so but to your point, if you're like grabbing and pulling yourself up and doing some fun things like that where it's really active, I think that could be, that's, that's awesome. I, unfortunately, the, a lot of the aerial yoga that I've seen is that passive stuff or even like you have a knee on the silk and you're um, doing what you're simulating like a low lunge. And while you might be holding with your hands, you're still really hanging into the front of the pelvis. So I think that um, if you're asking because you're interested in it, just like, you know, I always say, what is your why? Like, are you interested because it looks like fun? Then give it a try, but go into it and and really don't go floppy. But if you're just wondering because it looks like it might be harmful, then, you know, it it might be. It might be because you're going to go into some joint stuff as opposed to using your own muscles. And And, you know, as physical therapists, that is not what we would suggest. Okay, here's another one. Yoga with Magdalena. Can you explain a bit what nerve flossing does exactly? Yeah, so um, nerve flossing, there's many different gliding, sliding, flossing. Uh, when you think about a nerve, it's, I always call them telephone wires. You know, they are gonna, they transverse a, lo- a long range. Typically they bifurcate, they split off and they're coming from the, your brain to your spinal cord and then down your into the periphery, into your arms and, and legs. And so they also have this uh, sheath that goes around them. And the theory is not only all those little nooks and crannies that they dive under, be it bone, muscle, tendon, um, or the sheath can get caught up or hooked up or caught somewhere. And so this idea of nerve flossing is we can use it both to see how much tension there is on a nerve and then just to move that nerve, you can do it against tension. You can do it not against tension along those little areas that it, that it flows through. Um, it can be really beneficial if someone is just tight. Now, are you just flossing the nerve? No, you're moving the, the fascia. You're you're lengthening all of the soft tissues around it. Um, we just tend to go by the nerve sign because we don't want to push into You don't want to stretch a nerve. Uh, you know, nerves are very sensitive, but you can glide and slide it through its little course that it goes through. But I think a lot of that tends to be we call it nerve gliding or nerve flossing, but we're also doing a really 
I mean, a lot of soft tissue fascia mobilization as well. What do you think? I, I agree. I, I think that the term is probably overused a little bit because most people probably aren't actually flossing the nerve. But what you can think of is like, these are just fascial gliding. That's the big thing. Like, like Kristen said, uh, fascia is everywhere and it encases nerves. So sometimes when you get a really big stretch of the fascia, you'll, you can get like a nerve sensation. And to, to me, again, that's not a terrible thing, especially if it's in an area that is really restricted. It might be that you're pulling on that fascia that's kind of been, you know, encasing and, and instead of just gliding, it's been almost stuck because of the position or postural habits that we have. So I think doing things like what we do, we do a lot of like mobilization and freeing and kind of getting into the fascia. We're, we're kind of encouraging that, but I don't really call it nerve flossing because it isn't, like you said, it's not specifically trying to get into the nerve. We're getting into the all of it, the muscles, uh, the, the other soft tissues, you know, specifically fascia. And and getting them freer. So I think that nerve flossing for 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 people that like sit, that are sitting at a desk, let's say, and have a forward head and the the cervical nerves that are coming out of the spine, they come down like Kristen was saying, they'll come down all the way into your arm and sometimes people will feel numbness, pain, tingling from the elbow to the hand. And so there are ways where you can get in, like stretch out your neck. And, and usually the flossing is just to kind of say, hey, it's, it's, it's like you would tighten a screw or loosen a screw. You don't just pull on it. You give it a little bit of a rotational uh, component. And so that would be considered like the floss of it. That You're just trying to free up some of that bound fascia in your, um, around the cervical spine so that you're not going to get that, um, that nerve ending type pain that you get or, or numbness or tingling that you can get all the way down your arm. So in that case, you know, just, just move gently and, and, and move as a way like, like saying, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I haven't been paying attention to you, like in a gentle and, and loving and nurturing way, not in an aggressive way. <laughs> okay, so Marilo Rem, tips for people that got COVID and now movement seems almost impossible. Wow, this is new to both of us. Um, so I'll just start off with what I would suggest recovering from anything, you know, COVID has, as you know, we're learning more and more about it and it's long-term effects still are not known, but what we do know is it's a type of SARS virus. It is a virus that really impacts your pulmonary system. And so I would say if, if it's an acute case of it, then you're going to have to be really gentle because you, the, you got to get those lungs clear and healthy. And so just gentle movement at the most is what I would suggest in those early stages. If you are have recovered in terms of you don't have any more pulmonary issues, but you're just feeling really zapped, just like recovering from anything that has taken, that has uh, had a, like a global effect on your body um, and your endurance, just start moving, but in small amounts. And then just be your own kind of test case. Like if you do 15 minutes later on and in that day, are you totally beat? Or are you feeling better? You know, it's like you're going to have to do a little trial and error, but I would say go slowly, uh, but do get moving for sure. Because we, we want, you know, we want everything to recover and 
um, anytime we've been kind of laid out, we, we need to recover through movement. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, it definitely is going to be dependent upon where you are in that stage of recovery. We just had on our one of our um, lit yoga teacher, either the lit daily or the lit yoga teacher, one of our Facebook groups, someone asked this question, hey, I was just diagnosed, I don't have any symptoms, and what should I do? And just so happens one of our our yoga teachers and um, our yoga teacher, she's not a teacher at the studio, but one of our certified teachers, you know, had uh, COVID just maybe two months ago. And she had the, you know, firsthand knowledge right from the doctor for the U.S. rowing team who we work closely with. And, you know, I mean, she right away said, uh, you know, he said absolutely no, you know, nothing to raise your heart rate for those first two months. I mean, first, excuse me, two weeks. Because even if you have no symptoms, they've been, you've been, uh, they've seen that people can develop myocarditis later. So you really want to keep that heart rate down for the first at least two weeks. It might have even been three. And then that slow build back uh, because you, you have to be aware that even if you don't have symptoms, you still have this virus that can have that second wave. And so those precautions are so as not to get yourself caught up in, uh oh, I had the second wave. And, you know, I do, I wonder, we're seeing some of these, you know, people who are even just recently some college athletes who are dropping and, and you're, and they've had COVID and you're kind of like, we don't know enough about it. Like you said, it's brand new to us. Could it be that? Maybe. Could it be nothing related? Absolutely. So listening to your body. In those first few weeks, just resting, absolutely rest. And then movement, start with movement, always mobility. And then that gradual, like you said, a real gradual return, slow, listening to your heart, listening to your lungs. And, you know, most people, the vast majority, 99%, I would probably argue, are fine. But you don't want to be in that 1% that you know, could be unfortunate. So, you know, my thoughts are with you. And, um, you know, I think it's a great question to ask, especially right now, because a lot of people are going to have it. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of stuff on Lit Daily that are that is low and just that gentle would be a great place to start and just listen to that heart and your lungs. Yes, yes, absolutely. This will be our final question for today because uh, it's short. KSatch61, why do you reference the sides of the mat east and west? Is there a benefit to mat placement? I think I do that. I don't know if you also do it. But um, basically, if you're standing at the front of your mat, the direction you're facing is north. So you could just like compass it, you know, put a line there. So the back of the mat facing the back of the mat would be facing south. And therefore, facing to the right would be east and the west and the left would be west. I started doing that when I started teaching online because... I move around, we move around the mat a lot in lit yoga. Um, It's probably a little bit more common in yoga now, but certainly when we started teaching this way, it was not common at all. It was pretty much you faced forward and then a little bit sideways. And so I think it's really important to face in all the directions. We go in all the different planes because that's movement and that's, it's good for your brain. I always say it's good to be confused, but you don't want to be so confused that it's frustrating. So I use those markers because I also know Sometimes left and right, people get like, they get confused by that. So what I would say is, if you're practicing, 
put your block at the front or put something at the front as and know that that's your marker for north and then just kind of figure out from there what is east and west so that if we're facing south and I say turn right or face west, then it all of a sudden makes a little bit more sense. So, yeah. That's yeah, the big I'm thing. I'm going to add to that. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> just because we move, around, we move around the mat a lot, I'm super directionally challenged so that north, east, south, and west doesn't make sense in my brain. I'm a left-right brain person, but I know that a lot of people are not. So I think it, it's it, it, whatever works for you. Yeah, I tend to, I always say the direction, like turn left. So I'm not like, I don't say turn to face west. I'll say turn left, you're facing west. You know, just kind of giving people, again, because people are different. You know, some, like you said, north, south, east, west is like, what the hell are you talking about? So I think that, yeah, figure it out, but your brain will will actually, you'll get smarter. Like when you move in a lot of different directions, you really will because it's, it's, um, you have to stay in it. And that's really why our practice, again, is so, I think there's no other time in my life I'm so fully present because you're in the, and that's how it is with the body. The body is always present, but you're also thinking like, okay, what is happening? Where am I going? And, and figuring it out. So it's like, you don't have time to be distracted by other things. Like when people say they get bored in yoga, I'm always like, that just is perplexing to me. I'm like, you need to try our yoga because you won't get bored. Well, and I cannot wait for Laura is planning on making a mat and putting North, East, South, and West on it, which is that's genius because then it's right there in front of you. So yes. you can just, you don't need to think about left and right. Right. That is a, a book that is a teacher and a practitioner. That That's hard. The left yeah. and right is hard too. So I yeah. mean, the North, East, that's not going to change. That's That won't change. Left and right is going to, is definitely going to change your orientation. So, well, thank you. I, now I'm really going to have to get that mat made. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Pressure's on. Pressure's on. Well, as always, it was a pleasure, my dear. Um, thank you so much for joining me and chatting about all these great questions. I love it. And thank you all. If you have any more questions, you know where to find us. You can find me at Instagram and Kristen as well. KB Williams 99 is where you'll find her. And you can direct message us there or always you can write us at Lit Yoga as well. As always, we're pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.